Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, Carlos Cooper, with me as always. Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. And we are going to drink a beer and talk about some movies today. I want um, some, I need some beer in my life. <laughs> Joe's eager. Yeah, right. And, and uh, Carlos has delivered on some very... Um, I don't know, high octane, but also revered beer in these parts. Uh, beer brewery that we've had on the show before, um, but not recently. No, it was not, maybe not even the last very year. Beginning. Yeah. Um, so it's Jester King, right? We're talking about Jester King. I outside. had my uh, first Jester King experience on air. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, this is one that we had not experienced on air yet before, though a couple of us have had it. Carlos, this is your first time, you said? It is. All right. And this is, I don't think we've said the name, this is Black Metal. This is their take on the Imperial Stout, though if you know anything about Jester King, they are not conventional in terms of how they interpret these styles. They'll use their own house culture yeast uh, that does what it does to beer, which is more of a farmhouse style um, has some sour elements, mm-hmm. also some sort of you know much wine. sought off, yeah. much sought after in the beer drinking community, right? Especially if you don't live in the region. And we tried Jester King for the very first time on episode eight, when we paired it with it's a, the their beer de miel, and we paired it with um, oh yeah, I love that beer. Incomplete data. Uh, sure. Okay. Was that Tully? It might. Well, with Tully, we did the uh, Bourbon County, I know, because we were talking about yeah. the connection with, uh, it was the earlier film. Now we're getting off. Right. Attention. Anyway. Young adult. We don't have Young any time adult. for Thank that. Thank you. Yes. Patton Oswald. Yes. Perfect. We had a lot of Thank show to do. This. I'm glad. I'm always glad when Jester King comes back to our table. Yeah. Because it gives us, I think, three fans the opportunity to talk about a Texas beer that if you have not had, I'm sure it's on your wish list. Right. Although... I think, um, I don't know. Solo it, yeah. and uh, the Star Wars franchise was episode eight. So if that's the episode we had Jester King on, then. There you go. No, Anyhow. Be. Okay, honey, I wonder where we tied that Closure. in. Anyway, good. There we go. Thank you for the research. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see what we think of this after not having had it for a few years. And, and in one case, having it for the very first time. Say the ABV again, David. Uh 10.5. There you go. All Thank right. you. We're off to a good start. I've never had a sour stout before. I've had a couple. This is one of them, though. I, you know, they would call it a farmhouse stout rather than okay. a sour. But yeah, it has. They'll sour. get over it. Yeah, for maybe, maybe we'll see. For months, David, yeah. you and I have tolerated Carlos gushing endlessly about the film we intend on focusing our time on for the first half of this episode. It is Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems. Carlos, is it Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems? No, it's the Safdie Brothers. Uncut <laughs> Carlos, do you want to talk about this movie first? As far as the 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 general introduction to it uh yeah i can i can give us a little because um, i can do it but if you no, I, can, I've, I know you have been chomping at the bit for months to talk about this movie i can um i can do it uh so this is actually the one two three four five sixth feature film from the safety brothers uh josh and benny josh and benny safety uh the fifth from them is a duo uh, the first one they did, The Pleasure of Being Robbed, was only Josh as a director, and Benny just helped edit, it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but this is coming off of a high point for them with Good Time, uh, at least in terms of wider recognition, getting mm-hmm. somebody like Robert Pattinson. And I think the establishment of a pretty good cult film base that was really excited about this movie that's been in production for several years yeah uh yeah good time definitely had a lot of um oomph behind it right and was paid much more attention um you know in large in some part not in large part but due to its uh, affiliation with a24 films which at this point has developed quite the reputation for distributing a really solid lower budget kind of indie movies let, um, let me do a quick plot synopsis and then let's just go straight into spoilers well, like i mean the plot synopsis we have uh howard played by adam sandler 
who is a jeweler that has a gambling problem. Mm -hmm. uh, Compulsive gambler. Compulsive gambler uh, who is trying to turn his luck around and uh, repay (laughs) a a very sizable debt that he owes. Right. He's a, and, and he owns a jewelry store yeah, in the Diamond District of New York City. Yeah, yeah he's a jeweler, um, owns the place, is uh, having an affair with one of his employees, um, is he's on the rocks with his wife, uh, Adina Menzel, which I did not know she was in this until the opening credits rolled. Yeah, is that uh, right? Yeah, because well, I knew... We got Adam Sandler yeah. coming out in a Safdie Brothers movie. I didn't need to look into it anymore. <laughs> you know, so I didn't look at the IMDP page. I didn't read anything about it, really. Yeah. I just went in because I knew that it was something I was going to want to see. Right. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we also have Kevin Garnett in it. Yeah. Who plays I a sure pretty do. big role. Uh, his first acting appearance uh, did a hell of a job. on the screen. Lakeith Stanfield, right. Julia Fox makes her debut, and she's being very uh, heavily praised. Lauded. For, yeah, lauded for mm-hmm. her performance. Uh, Eric Bogosian. 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 Yeah. Um, so, and I'm a talk radio fan from from the way back. Definitely, mm-hmm. you know. Small a cast, Oliver Stone film. Yeah, definitely a cast worth noting. Um, some pretty, you know, well-established actors and actresses in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Did it meet the hype? One thing that I loved about this movie so much that apparently a lot of people hated was that I, when this movie ended, I felt like I was breathing for the first time almost in like two hours. Like I was oh. so like out oh, of breath yeah, yeah, at the yeah. end of it just because it yeah, was yeah, so yeah. tense right. and it was so like anxiety inducing and just like... Yeah, I saw somebody make some comment akin to... You know, I don't go to movies on Mike on Mike's uh, status. Yeah, yeah, to be what whoever it, like, said that. Uh, hey, so hey, listen, listen, no, that's come on. It's a, it's a little different strokes. No, I mean, you go to a movie no. to have an experience. Hold on, let me. If you're if you were going to movies just to be entertained and have fun and like not have to think about stuff, you went to the wrong movie, well, and you should have noticed by the trailers that this was not going to be Jumanji: The Next Level. There was nothing about this trailer that should... I mean, I, I could understand maybe with Good Time, because it's called Good Time, that you would have thought, oh yeah, this is going to be a good, fun movie. Mm. But with this one, nothing about it says mm. easygoing cinema. But let's talk about and, why it's so divisive. But yeah. it's... I mean... And here, here is the answer. No, I can't, I you guys could, go, you want to... No, no, you know. here is the answer. This film is going to challenge the films that Adam Sandler draws as the number one movie on Netflix in 2019, which is a completely different kind of movie. An Adam Sandler movie. Uh, wedding. The one the with week the, of. The, no, no, the wedding one with Jennifer I, Aniston. I didn't see it. Murder Mystery. Oh, uh, oh yeah, I was big. Now, that's the number the one grossing, not grossing, but watched, watched film on Netflix. Yeah, so if right. Adam Sandler is in some kind of critically claimed thing and I go to the Adam Sandler movie, you are going to be challenged in a way that Adam Sandler does not challenge an audience. Right. And so, therefore, you're going to have people that walk out. This is not the Happy Gilmore 9, you know, etc. I think, though, that the critics have it totally right. This is a movie that deserves study. And, and, and as a Safdie Brothers virgin that night when I went to go see it, I'm a convert mm-hmm. and look forward to the second half of the film. Um, it's a challenging movie uh, it, 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 as, far as, as, as far as what the typical American audience goes to see on a weekly basis. Yeah. I don't know. So, I, you know, I get where people are coming from. I know what Joe just said is right. I know that for some people, they don't love the tense anxiety ridden i mean some people just don't love horror films some people don't like intense action films yeah but those people don't go to those movies i don't know i don't expect them to be something that they're not to that end uncut gems even based on the trailer i don't know if i would have come in thinking it was going to be that tense that continuously throughout almost the entire like it begins in a tense situation, it continues through tense situations, but that and is, it culminates but in the tense. But that's exactly where the director's intended on taking us. I mean, it is designed to create that tension and anxiety right. throughout the right. Uh, the and I'm just saying, some people, and I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'll, I'll register with mine, but I'm. Yeah, I know those people exist. I talk to those people all sure. the time, and I think to say that somehow what them responding that way is invalid. It's not it's, exactly it, invalid. It's just that. It wasn't a film for them. I think it's it's a, not invalid, but it's frustrating. Yeah. So, I, but my feeling about yeah. the film is that I think it was beautifully pulled off. Mm-hmm. I think it was they set out to tell the story they wanted to tell about obsession, about compulsion, 
Um, I mean, that's what I, th- one of the criticisms that I heard from some other people, and this was a, a lay person. This wasn't a, a professional critic. This was, you know, mm-hmm. one of us, yeah. somebody um, just saying like, I never felt like any of the characters made decisions that humans would make, right. that they would did things. I totally disagreed. Like I saw Strongly. a lot of very understandable behavior. Now it's not behavior I indulge in myself. I'm not a gambler, right? But that's why films about gamblers, and there's not that many. The Owning Mahoney was a really good one a few mm-hmm. years back with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, that puzzle and fascinate me because it's a part of human uh, behavior that I don't personally you get, tap into. To. And yet I understand compulsion. I understand being driven. Right. And so once you lock into it, it's pretty fascinating from a character study standpoint. And I think with the performances, it pulls it off beautifully. But so many of the other elements are wor- worth uh, mentioning too, not the least the score. I mean, to me, with Good Time, when they started up this partnership, I would call it, with uh, Daniel Lopatin, who, who's doing their music here, and he even who's, gets a, who's a shout out. point never. Right, but he gets a shout out with the original reason for his name, 106.7, the radio station, gets mm. uh, called out in, okay. in the midst of this film. I didn't know that that was the origin for his name. He's billed as 106 point never for right. Good Time. Right, and here and he's here Daniel Bill, Lopatin. Yeah, his, yeah. his uh, given name. Mm-hmm. But a fantastic score that just ratchets it up even mm-hmm. more. I love yeah. that it's I love that it's framed with this quasi mystical yep. stone thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I bought that. Um, well, I loved it because it allowed them to open up in this like it, it had a very seventies feel. Like I feel like I've seen so many films from that era that right. you know take you to some remote des- like The Exorcist or whatever. You know, like they've uncovered, they've unearthed this thing with whole, and with a transition gonna... into the colon. Into the colon. Into his colon oh, during yeah. his colonoscopy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that made me laugh like, oh, this is going to be some weird hybrid of, of like Adam Sandler lowball <laughs> humor <laughs> and, and the drama that I well, know that I'm is, about to there see is, based there on every single review that I come across. There is a dark But it wasn't that. It wasn't in, that. In but their stuff. There is, yeah. There, there's always a little dark humor in it because their movies are so taxing. Mm-hmm. That you do need at least a moment of relief, right. which they are, you know, pretty strategic about when they're going to give it to you and like not letting you get too much of it because they want you uncomfortable the entire time. I I didn't. I thought that was more off-putting than it was funny. <laughs> I what, thought it was like, the colon thing uh, <laughs> of all the places they could have ended up. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a little bit funny, but I was. Just, but you know, after a certain point, you're like, oh, that's. <laughs> and then and. <laughs> And also, they're they're people that aren't, they're not shy about showing you stuff that is going to upset you. Like Uh the that it's graphic. Like they, I mean, they like show you the fucking insides of somebody in the beginning. You know, like they show you what the camera in him is seeing, which is deeply disturbing. Right. (laughs) Not not really deeply disturbing, but it is uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I really like about um, how they make movies is they frame stuff so tight and i know i don't know about with this one because i you know like i said i haven't read a ton about it in terms of the actual like methodology of the shooting of it Mm -hmm. but i know in the past they have a history of using like really long lenses Mm -hmm. to shoot stuff so that even close up so it's super close every little tiny movement of like a handheld camera is like exaggerated and Mm -hmm. everything feels way more chaotic and um, uncontrollable and mm-hmm. it just adds to that level of like you know discomfort that you feel yeah. watching it but it also is you know telling you a lot about the characters that you're watching because everything in Howard's life is unstable you oh, know yeah. he's unstable right. all his relationships are unstable his, Every single business, one of them. his business is unstable the way yeah. he conducts his business is unstable you know he's like, unstable yeah it's just he, yeah and everything so, around and him so, has to be yeah. and so the camera is constantly reflecting that and constantly sure. in a, at least a subconscious way reminding you of that um now i mentioned at the top that julia fox is being like you know lauded for mm-hmm. her performance in this mm-hmm. as the, his mistress yeah the only scene that took me out of this okay was when Howard is in his office. He just, and he has the breakdown. He just got punched in the face, yeah. and he, got, oh, he starts that, breaking down. I had that worked for me. Sandler crushes it in it, but there's a there was a brief moment, and it only lasted like maybe forty five seconds. Uh-huh. But there's a brief moment where the camera's looking up at her, looking down at him, and she, I just felt like she was Julia Fox, not the character. Was just like 
struggling to get to that emotion. Oh, that's interesting. And I when I rewatch this, I intend to look for that. I watched somebody acting. I hmm. you know I could tell I, I could see somebody acting in that scene. But that um, scene is critical. It's, it's a, no, it's a good scene. It's and, the and only. It's, it's so brief. It's, it's the it's only like, piece of the real humanity that we see of him. The yeah. On, the only one. And it's it's probably not Almost. even. Almost. I'd say when you, when he's having the conversation with his wife at the uh, no. Passover seder. No. 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 Uh, Howard. No. Howard. <laughs> no. Well, thank you for vetoing my. H- Howard is. No, no, I was I was doing uh, I was doing a clue callback. Right. Yeah. 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 Howard. I, is, I don't. I, that's have a, a good call. I don't back. have a stake in this race. <laughs> well, actually, I do agree with you more, David. Howard is thank a sociopath. You. And and you do not see his emotions. I think he's. I don't, I don't think he's I don't, a sociopath. No, he's no. a narcissist. He's a narcissist. Certainly, he's not a sociopath. I would go he there. Cares, he cares about his kids. Yeah, I don't it, think that he does. He's not good at it, Joe. But no, he he's cares. Bad at I, it. Think I think he does. He yeah. he has basic human instincts of compassion and care. He goes back to the wife because but he's he a bl- narcissist. He he goes back to the wife because as it unraveled, he would need her family. That's it. He was always looking out for the way that yeah. I that I can yeah can, that, can stay on top a, that's from minute to minute and it's not even like like but I don't even but see that but the motivation there in that scene is not too heavy for him to need to stay with the family I mean his relationship with Arno is already dead so what you know what that helps him nothing no, and I guess he doesn't have a woman Gui, at that point he did not have a woman at that point and he needed one so he went back to her that's that's the only there was no real love okay, yeah, in, in the, that decision. But yeah. when he was punched in the face and down to love. nothing, down to nothing, mm-hmm. he needed to have that real. This is a, a picture of the real me. She, Julia, not the wife, happened to be there. The wife would have rejected it, but Julia needs him for a reason I don't understand as much as he needs her. It's uh-huh. a financial ag- arrangement, basically. Yeah, and I a sexual. She, I think she loves him. I th- I I buy that uh, she she actually like and she's. She may be deluded. That's the part that takes me out of the movie. Or she is deluded because there's nothing lovable about this man at the point that she met him. Oh, I don't know. See, that's what I. That's the thing about the Sandler performance and that I thought wife, worked the is that I found it. him actually to be somewhat lovable, even if I wasn't sitting there like this guy's great. And I got. I mean, he was clearly an antihero, but he had a sense of. Humor I went that- with him more than I would have typically a character doing the shit that he did it is the only flaw of the film that i have and that is that he is such an in unsympathetic character that the 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 loser with the heart of gold i i never found a heart of gold there was nothing to like about him except for the cunning way that he can go from you know the zigzag down the football yeah field. yeah but i anyway i I liked the film so, so much, but uh-huh. that glaring flaw is a glaring flaw that I'm still trying to get my head that around. That you don't, you can't connect with the character. If Sandler won the Oscar for this, and uh-huh. we're giving Oscar more praise than it deserves, but if Sandler won the award that you respect for acting for this, I'm not going to disagree with it. I'm not going to disagree with it. But he's not your favorite for it. I wouldn't say he isn't. I'm just saying that there are, and that's because. I don't even want to get into that. Sandler deserves the acting because you lose he loses the Sandler of himself. Except for the notion that that's Adam Sandler. It, yeah, that, in a I way that Eddie Murphy get... did do in Dolomite. You separate it. And every once in a while you see Eddie Murphy because yeah. you know whatever. But that was my only issue with the problem. Hmm. We haven't talked about the weekend. We haven't talked about Kevin Garnett. I mean, it, it, Kevin, it, it is. Oh, there. There's so well, much really, to unpack with this film. We don't really need to talk about the weekend. He's fucking in it. Like whatever. <laughs> you know? I mean, like his. I mean, he he provides a like you know, like important like narrative moment. Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter that it's the weekend. It could have been. Any, pretty much anybody well, who's a star but, at that moment, but, or, but, or, or, or an but, emerging but, star. But the yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, but the only thing that makes it more grounded and more believable is that this was around the time people just found out who the fuck he is. Like, yeah, sure. Because he was anonymous This is for when so he would have been you know? playing and underground I parties. Fast, and I think that it's fascinating. I, and I'm sure that there are relationships between The weekend and the Softie Bros that I don't understand. But, no, there's not. But they're, they're just... They're just <laughs> but that he would agree to do the role and, you know, this amazingly famous basketball player 
who, yeah. who I think smashes that performance. Yeah, he does a I, I think he does an amazing job acting as sure. a sports figure when sports figures, when they finally appear in a movie, uh-huh. are you know usually Shaq level or Charles right. Brock Charles Broccoli Barkley level Barkley, acting. Yeah. yeah, I mean he but, smashed that role. Even the emotion required. Sure, the, I mean, no, the notion that he would almost like. Michael Jordan too. Demean his own image if he's to fictionalize the notion that he was superstitious about a rock for that win that is real. Yeah, I mean, so he was he he went on a really strange ride with these directors, and I sure can't tell you. I don't I don't agree with that at all. I don't think it was a strange ride. He's playing himself, and yes, there's some fictionalized versions of it. But also, one of the things this is an art film, though. This is being John Malkovich level, kind of like like inner level. I mean, he got a fantastic opportunity to act, and I see a. Oh, for I that think, kid. Sorry, Carlos. One, did you? Uh, yeah. yeah. One of the things that he has the benefit of that some of his contemporaries that you just mentioned didn't is that his career is over. Like it's been over. Oh, you know, right, he right. he retired quite some time ago, so he has the luxury of being able to retrospectively look back on the time in which he's portraying, which I think informs when, when informs a lot of his. When did he retire? How far? I mean, it wasn't a crazy long time ago, but it's been, couple I don't know, seasons. four or five years or oh, something, maybe. Oh, four or five, maybe. okay. I'll have to So you would have had a couple after this. All right. Um, but, Two rings but, and he's out. But also, you know, you get the... Uh, um, it helps that Adam Sandler is such a big basketball fan himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin Garnett has said in multiple interviews that part of what made his experience so easy was that him and Adam Sandler did have like some genuine connection. He uh, retired in 2016, some genuine okay. connection and like our friends now, you know? Oh, okay. And so it eased him into being able to. So I, 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 I'm getting the feeling you were underwhelmed. No, I loved this movie. Like I walked yeah. out of it like physically affected, uh-huh. like which if a movie can like, you know, alter your brain chemistry, like literally that's, I mean, what an achievement that yeah, like moving sure. pictures can like affect you in such a like undeniable and like almost like quantifiable way, you know? Um, is I mean, is it my favorite Safety Brothers movie? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it once. Um, Have you seen them all? Uh, all not all of them. Uh, I've I've seen them seen them all since they kind of became mm-hmm. known, um, which we'll talk about in the second yeah. half, but. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that I was underwhelmed. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think I think it's incredible filmmaking. I think go in knowing it's going to be a tense and sort of intense experience, and and let it do its thing. I mean, I think it's actually a great, um, you know, it's a critique of that kind of hyper masculinity that that he embodies in it. Right, this kind of like he's constantly jockeying for position he's constantly trying to do something that's going to elevate him somehow above all the others i don't know it's just so again it's foreign to me it's not how i tend to operate but it's so fascinating when you see a story told like that that puts you into that and with him and again there are decisions that i wouldn't make but i i'm like people do this shit People yeah. make those stupid decisions all the time and decide time. to push just a little too far, which yeah. is essentially what this film does. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's able to play this thing <laughs> off and he just pushes a little too far on one thing. He makes too big of an assumption and it goes. What about when yeah, he but, decided to make that last bet, the big bet? Yeah. I, th- did. Were you sitting there going, no, <laughs> stop. Uh, yeah, no, but it, but it was totally predictable at that point. Yeah. Cause they're like, okay, I've been saying that every bet that he plays. I mean, I mean, he can, like, t- you have the money, pay that guy so that he gets off your back. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I mean, so- he, he, he continues to make the wrong decision the entire time. And at a certain point, I, maybe it's like purely out of sympathy. You're uh-huh. almost rooting for him just to like, man, I hope this works out for you so you can find some well, because peace of, and, and be done. Right. And because just, of like, how narrative be works, you know that there's going to be a final point. And yeah. You, at a certain, you have to decide, okay, do I want to see this character suffer or do I want to just see somebody come out on top for once? And like, you, you kind of, you can put yourself Where were you? quickly. Oh, I was definitely, he needs to go. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Not that I hated him, but, I but just that... I knew that narratively, if they let him off the hook at the end of it, they would have lost so much street cred. This would have felt like a fairy tale sort I, of. Uh, oh, so I, you, 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 okay, okay. So let's go mega spoiler now. The final twist of the film <laughs> yeah. is yeah. I can't believe we haven't talked about it. Yet. He traps uh, some assailants in the in a in right. a the guy he owes money to in his a, henchman a chamber. Yeah, 
uh, the vestibule to, to get into the um, jewelry store yeah. while the game is He's playing. Uh-huh. And I thought that where we were going, look at the game, by the way, he's placed amount, a huge amount of money and all of his problems go away if all of his bets come in. Yeah. Not to mention the idea that someone is in pursuit of his... I mean, I mean there's... Yeah. It's multi-layered. There's a, there's a lot going on. Um, so they're watching the game uh-huh. and and as the bets tick off one at a time, it's yeah. set up and so they sequentially occur. Right. The people in the cage get... It looks like less mad and more into the idea that he might pull this off and then right. we might all get rich. Right. Comes out, gets shot right in the head. <laughs> Instantly. Our protagonist is now dead. Right. Yeah. And um, that is the opposite of what the average moviegoer wants yeah. to see. Adam yeah. Sandler gets shot yeah. in the face and bleed out on the floor. Right. Even if his brains are cosmically beautiful. And, <laughs> um, and even if he's... I wasn't predicting that. Yeah, I I was at a certain point. I mean, like I knew pretty early on. I'm like, they're gonna have. He's gonna die for all this. There, there's no way that they're gonna let this character live. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know if I thought he was gonna die, but I knew it was not gonna end well for him. Yeah, I I mean, in prison, I guess. I thought worked, I thought maybe but, his but girlfriend I, was gonna die. No, or, or his like family. his family. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost. That okay. I almost I, ex- I almost expected something him, terrible. I almost expected terrible. him to survive in order to make it worse. That he would have to weigh have have the weight of this on his conscience. And just like it places I mean, yet another bet, and then it says coming soon, uncut gems. There you too. go. Yeah, there would, you go. Yeah. That that would lose their street cred. That would be <laughs> no. Awful. Maybe it'll be like him up in heaven placing bets with you know like these with Pete know. Rose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, famous betters. But of the what past, the? Yeah. And I guess we'll talk about this in the second half. But the evolution of the Softy Brothers from an earlier film to now. Now yeah. we see what they evolved into from then. How right. are these filmmakers evolving? And I believe that they've put out a. Um, nothing short of a masterpiece that's going to appeal to an alt film crowd that this country so desperately needs. And so those that didn't see it are the same ones that are pushing Marvel movies up to a 95. 80% of top grossing movies uh, were Disney made. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was an interesting story. Yeah. It was fucking yeah. asshole. So, the Softy Brothers Uncut Gems, it sounds like around the table we're in, we're in agreement This people should go see this film. Oh, definitely. Yeah. With, with, with that little caveat of if you know this isn't your thing, then you're probably not even listening to this podcast. Should, but if, <laughs> should Adam Sandler win whatever award he's going to be nominated for? That's interesting. We'll see if he gets actual nomination. Oh, he will. Well, we'll see. You got to reward he, he that box office. He should at least get nominated if absolutely nothing else. It seems like he should. And and as you said earlier, Joe, if he won, I would not begrudge him that. Nope. I think he put in the work here and, and it paid off. Yeah. Um, did black metal pay off for us? Like I said, Jester King is a largely sought out beer yeah. in the beer trading community. If you right. haven't had a Jester King yet, you've lost street cred with us. It's nice having <laughs> this again after so many years. I mean, it's probably been three or four years since I've had a bottle of this. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the... Uh, black metal, which the tie-in there we didn't Farmhouse really make. Imperial stuff. Black Opal yeah. is the stone that they're. Yeah, uh, right. We forgot sort about of the, lusting after. We forgot about the central prop yeah. in the film. Well, it, it, it's, it's a, a stone that everyone covets, yeah. and it's got a very rare black opal in it, and so black metal. So th- this beer, their their take on an imperial stout with their farmhouse yeast, fantastic. I mean, their what I love about Chester King, and I think what they became so widely known for and lauded for is that they just have such a great house culture that is not super crazy sour. Um, it brings in a hint of that, mm-hmm. but it's got just a lot of character to it. I right. don't know. It's just, you you drink a Jester King beer, you know it's a Jester King beer. Drinking this, it's just so unique. Yeah. It's so wonderful to have again. I just love like you beer. don't put uncut gems next to just the typical American film fair. You can't put them next to one another <laughs> or compare them. You can't put or this, you can or you can. You can't put this farm ale imperial stout next to an imperial stout and not well, like make some people not understand exactly what's happening when they're brewing this with this soured farmhouse ale. You know you're going to taste something very unique. Right. And Jester King's farmhouse ale is base is so good that this just becomes an interesting thing that is in a class by itself. Yeah. Just like Uncut Gems. I agree. <laughs> All right. So we'll find out if the Safdie brothers earlier in their career were in a class by themselves, um, what, what we felt about some one of their earlier efforts, um, and we'll also open another bottle.
we're back. <laughs> we sure are. And uh, we're going to get something uh, in our glasses here right off the bat. This is uh, our second beer for the night, Monkless, which is a uh, brewery out of Bend, Oregon. This is their Meacher Maker, which is a Belgian-style dark ale that they have. Uh, and it is 9% ABV, I believe. Thought it was on. Yeah, there you go. 9% alcohol by volume. We're going to get this open. And it's got a cork top. Yeah. Come on, David, use those muscles. There we go. Very All nice. right. Get this in the glasses here. Um, as we get ready to talk about a film that, like Uncut Gems, has uh, has some death in it. So Meet Your Maker maybe ties in here. This is their earlier film, uh, Heaven Knows What, which was released, when was it? 2015? 20... Yeah, 2014. It debuted, it debuted yeah. at Venice in 2014. was actually released in 2015. Okay. So th- this is a film that the Safdie brothers did in collaboration with a young. Well, she, was she even? She wasn't even an actor, or or no, they pulled her involved off the in filmmaking at any. You guys level ready for this. some full circle shit? Go for it. <laughs> when the Safdie brothers met Ariel Holmes, it was around the same time that they were um, researching and trying to pitch Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Oh, right. is that right? They okay. were following around, you know, people in the Diamond District, this, specifically this, like, kind of Russian uh, community of Diamond District people. Yep. Um, and they would have these, um, I guess, like, I guess they called them models or whatever that worked in there to like show off the jewelry or okay. something like that. I, I could be getting some of this wrong, but my recollection of it is she had as, gotten as follows. A, she and then, had gotten a jewelry um, scholarship, so to work in the jewelry district because someone saw her sketching on a subway or something like okay. that, and they said you should get an internship, not a scholarship. Yeah. No. So 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 they met her there, and I think it was Josh Safty would go to McDonald's because she was like basically homeless. You know? mm-hmm. um, we'd go to McDonald's with her and they would sit there and just talk about her life. And he was like, you should write all this down. Mm-hmm. Right? And so she wrote this memoir called Mad Love in New York City that was never published. And they adapted it into this film. As I understand it, Josh Softy pay, paid her a, by the page to write this. Um, the that I yeah no, I looked it up I, yeah, yeah. I, I believe it yeah but, he, he uh-huh. was he he met a girl that he became fascinated with and thought could be uh, a, a talent right and helped her out and she created this like Carlos said autobiography that yeah. they adapted into a screenplay and let her play the lead in yeah right it's an amazing right. story yeah it yeah. is yeah um and even funnier that it all happened around something they were trying to in the diamond get district. to yeah. uncut gems like that was what they right. were working towards at the time so as i understand it they cast a lot of her friends from the street in the and so there's really only one actor in the entire movie the guy that plays her caleb landry uh, boyfriend Jones, yeah who went on to be in get out and uh several other things and the, i sure. think there's uh, i think there's one other guy that's an actor but was buddy duress an yes. actor other than yeah i'm pretty sure yeah. but the plot synopsis is simple it is a heroin addict looking for the next score right female she has a boyfriend and they have a very horrible relationship (laughs) but as you would as you would expect a bunch of junkies potentially to have yeah and then she is making moves just to get her next fix get the neck enough cash to flop somewhere right and there that's the plot yeah yeah buddy dress was in good time as well yeah it is. It's really interesting. I mean, this film, um, right off the bat, I hadn't seen it before um, this, you know, getting ready for the podcast. Uh, I had seen Good Time when that was out. And that I was probably drawn to more for Daniel Lopatin because I knew his music than even the Safdie brothers as as filmmakers. So, but I was sold. I liked that film a lot. and I But I just hadn't gone back and watched those earlier films. So having a good excuse to see this. The film that this struck me as closest to was Kids. I know, thought the same thing from, immediately. From the 90s that, you know, similar like story about kids on the street doing their thing. What does real life look like in a life you don't know? Right. We're going to show you something that we hope you yeah. have never had the experience before. Right. I do think this is a darker and more... I agree. Um, 
well, I mean, kids is pretty dark, but it mm-hmm. doesn't have as much humor to it. There's mm-hmm. like kids has a humorousness to yes. it. Harmony Corinne's uh, strange sense of humor was sort of trickling through. Larry Clark also kind of has one, but um, they, they do. We talked about it in the when we were talking about uncut gems. This film, though, I think of the three that I've seen, has the least humor involved in it. I mean, it's it's all pretty. Bleak. Pretty starkly bleak and right. depressing, yeah. That w- what you're seeing this uh, this lead character put herself through just for her addiction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's interesting that I think what I've seen in those three films now that I've seen because I haven't gone back and watched any of the earlier ones is that they do have this interest in characters that are compul- you know, compulsive in some way, right? right. They can't yeah. help self destructive. You might say, you know, Robert Pattinson in Good Time is just he's. You know, he's driven by this love for his brother, I guess. So he's maybe the most noble of all the characters in a certain sense. But he's also driven by this need to do everything illegally right? <laughs> and, yeah. and do it do it the whatever way is going to get him the most income, the fastest. Uh, but you typically know, is illegal. Yeah, drug de- drug addiction, gambling addiction. I don't know. It's it's just really interesting to see that you know thematically so clear a through line exists in those at least three most recent feature films of theirs you want to know when i saw this for the first time i know it made an impact on you yeah and you, it was that was I'm, it at I'm, a film festival i'm about to tell you why so 2015 uh-huh. um i me and my friend nathan gra- finished our undergrad december 2014 mm-hmm. and he was going to go to south by Right. With a badge mm-hmm. um, to do all the fun stuff. And uh, his parents were uh, gracious enough to offer to pay for half of mine so that I could go with him. Wow. Yeah. So that he wasn't, you know, just uh-huh. roaming around by himself or whatever. For the week or the weekend or what? Uh, for, for the week. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have an important job at the time. I no, I mean, there's two different it. badges. I mean, you went for a full week. It was week. film, yeah. That's badass. Um, so it doesn't really get you into the music stuff, right. but it gets you into all the interactive bullshit and all the panels and all that. Uh, so we went, and it's like the front half of South By is the film festival. Now, the friend I went with, Nathan, he lives in Austin, so he like has a job and shit and like can't just be out at South By 24-7 all those days. He was mm-hmm. got to go to work. And so there was one day he was working... And I was looking at the schedule, and there wasn't anything that I knew about that I was like, I'm trying to go see this. Like, um, there were definitely things showing that year that I was anticipating. Like, we have to go see this. Like mm-hmm. the Henry Rollins movie, he never, di- he did never dies. I think is what it's called. Okay. Uh, Trainwreck had a test screening. Uh-huh. Uh, the Judd Apatow. Uh, there was the world premiere of um, uh, Deathgasm. Oh, uh, yeah. Some stuff like that. Anyway, so. I was looking at the at the programming and I saw this movie Heaven Knows What and it was, you know, I read the description, you know, this girl that's a homeless heroin addict in New York City, which albeit is dark, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, okay, this sounds like, it sounds interesting, like I've never heard of these people before, um, I might as well, like I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. else, you know, what else am I going to do? So I went, you know, I'm standing in the lobby with all these people, it's like at the Violet Crown Cinema, which is very small, so it's like packed, mm-hmm. and... There's, a, I think there's only like three theaters, and so I'm just like, okay, yeah, cool, whatever, you know, walk in, go to a theater that has some seats, sit down, mm-hmm. and then the fucking thing starts, and I was just like, whoa, this is <laughs> crazy, like, what the fuck is happening, and just being like blown away by it, and mm-hmm. then Josh Safdie did a Q&A afterwards, uh, his brother wasn't there, but, um, and so I went and watched that, but then... You know, as if that movie isn't like intense enough on its own, I was just like thrust out into a, you know, 10.30 p.m. downtown Austin by by myself, (laughs) just like walking around, just like sitting with this thing that I just saw. Yeah. And I think that the it was wild. The amped upness of both of the films, Uncut Gems, Mm. gets me back to this notion of the evolution of these guys. Yeah. And. While I didn't find this film to be as cathartic, or not cathartic, not the right word, but definitely as, not the right as word. Fil- as film vocabulary changing as Carlos did, and I appreciate so much that you had that. It doesn't offer any new take on the junkie movie we've seen a lot, except for the softy brother touches that I'm glad we've seen them evolve into what they did with Uncut Gems, score, mm-hmm. and yeah. the creation of tone. 
Mm-hmm. Because Score those two pink. things are certainly mm-hmm. stars of the film with uncut gems. I didn't get an opportunity to talk about it. The tone of the film and how it is created with filmmaking elements in a way that we don't normally see. That's yeah. what's confusing audiences. And they'd be sure. confused by this film as well. Oh, oh this, yeah. They would be scarred yeah. by this film. I, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, we talked about it in the first half of the episode in regards to uncut gems. But one of the things that, like, really blew me away about them as filmmakers and that made me have the adoration for them that I do is, I mean, they were talking about shooting this movie on like a thousand millimeter lens no. from across yeah. the street mm-hmm. looking at Ela. That's tone is creation that, Is that how you say his name, Ela? Ela? It's been a oh, while since Ilya. I... Ilya. Ilya. Yeah. I knew it was kind of odd. I, yeah. I haven't seen it in a little while. Yeah. The, uh, uh, but I've seen it multiple times because um, yeah. I just like have to go back to it every now and then. Yeah. But yeah, they're talking about shooting him from across the street. Yeah. And, like, Long shots for everything, well, I mean, even close-ups. Yeah. I mean, exactly. They're super far away, mm-hmm. but the shot is a close-up, right. mm-hmm. which is like, why would you ever think to... Like, how would you think to do that? Like, well, like you, you said, know, it, it makes you feel very close, even though it's far. I mean, it's got it's got a tension to it visually. Yeah, cinematography. Also, it's amazing cinematography to create that tone. Yeah, they yeah. do it with yeah. the cinematography in that sense. Sure. And, and and I'm glad you brought that up again because I wanted to say there are long shots in New York. Every single external shot on the street is certainly a long shot. Yeah, all of the interaction at the fountain, all of and and it's them creating what we're we're watching filmmakers create their style in front of us instead of Wes Anderson who burst onto the scene with his yeah well not with bottle rocket so much but certainly with Rushmore this these filmmakers I cannot wait for their next movie whatever their next movie is because I'm watching this evolution of, of just amazing style creation the scene where uh she's walking and talking with scully and he's like kind of harassing her or whatever mm-hmm. it's pretty early in the film i mean how long yeah. those kind of shots are it just right. like you're you feel stuck there with her you know you yeah. feel like oh yeah this guy won't leave me alone the and, experience you know, at south by you just described would have been one i really would like to have been at and because uh, you're seeing it all for the first time and when then yeah. and now tonight to see what it's become it's to to sorry. go back to what you were saying is i think that it I think it does kind of offer something different because I think that with the exception of like a few moments in other movies that don't last, I mean, they don't um, last as long as this particular like tone or perspective does in this film. This is one of the darkest, most probably realistic takes of, you know, drug addiction that we've seen on film. Like you get some of it in train spotting where shit gets really, really bad, you know, but it doesn't hold. There's a for, cartoonish element it, to yeah, train spotting. And mm-hmm. I mean, even that I love, but you know, even in, um, Requiem for a dream, there's some really terrible shit in that mm-hmm. movie and really, really dark moments, but it's kind of interspersed with these other more almost cartoonish fantasy, elements at times. Yeah. yeah fantasy kind mm-hmm. of things. And this one it doesn't it doesn't give you that ability to kind of um, remove yourself from it and I think it's the quasi documentary documentarian style of it yeah which it is I mean somewhat it, documentary based. It is. it's it, about it, this it's certainly girl fictional, and you're watching the girl herself you're, pre- you're you know? presented with real life kids is a fair comparison yeah these this is what it's just a camcorder almost on kids acting like they might but even yeah. that one isn't Understood. as dark yeah. like this one is fucked up like, yeah it's really fucked up yeah yeah kids is pretty fucked up but it they, is but yes there it, it this one there's almost no relief it's yeah. just you're, you're really just stuck well, the very clear the choice time. that there is no and it's the same thing in uncut gems we talked about the ending and did you expect the notion that he would die or that he would somehow come yeah. through you want at the end at the, la- at the climax of this film, for her to have some kind of stark epiphany that moves her life right. into a positive direction. Yeah, and she and just goes it is back the to opposite that, right? of she that. Just go, and goes right back in and you Ilya have that... burst into flames. And like you have that thing. mirrored uh, opening sequence and closing sequence yeah. that are just notably fascinating. Yeah, and yeah. I, think, I think the ending of it is particularly great because she walks in... And Mike takes a moment to like look at her and be like, "Oh, you're back." Yeah. And then it's just like, whatever, and like continues, and because that's just what their lives are. They're just these vicious cycles of like bad decisions and, and mutual uses and and, and, and and destructive behavior. And right. I, I mean, I think another thing that is more upsetting about this one than kids is I feel like in kids they kind of have a place to go 
like in this one, their only place that they can really go is like the library and then that weird kind of like junkie house that lady's letting them stay in. Yeah. And, and like letting them shoot heroin in her house or whatever. Right. Just, like they you, don't have a comfortable place where they can retreat, really exist. Retreat, yeah. You yeah. know, where yeah. and kids they kinda do a little bit. Yeah. And just I just every moment of this movie is so sad. Yeah. Like Oh sure. No, you know, this is a every frame is like relentlessly sad film. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 it's right. And and I think that Go see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're seeing strong filmmaking even at this stage with lesser means and all that. It it yeah. is interesting to see how they've I think taken some of that that they had, sharpened it, refined it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I see everything they do is kind of improving upon the last project in various ways, tightening it up. I do think that what I've seen is a trajectory of ascendancy. Mm-hmm. I think Uncut Gems is the best thing they've done so far, but I have a feeling that the thing they do next Agreed. will become the best thing that they do. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at, that's what I'm saying. One of those directors that you can really put into your list of, I'll be at the theater the weekend that it comes out yeah. for a director, not a yeah. star. Not a writer, right? But the director. Yeah, that's what gets me to the movies more than anything. Yeah. Okay. Since we, since you just mentioned wanting to see what they're going to do next, um, their Wikipedia page under future projects says the following: In December 2017, the Hollywood Reporter announced that the Safties would helm the 48 Hours remake. Oh, with right. The screen, the script being written by Josh Safdie. Ronald Bronstein and Gerard Carmichael, which is a yeah. very interesting pairing. Yeah. But this month. The Safdies elaborated in an interview with the AV Club saying the film was still being made, but it would no longer be a remake. Their script instead would be reshifting into something original. They had too much success with this movie to follow that path. Well, I really hope that they're still writing with Gerard Carmichael because that would be quite a a pairing. Can I tell you about the... In my opinion, I really like Gerard Carmichael as a writer. Can I tell you about my proudest moment of my Christmas? What? My son and, and his girlfriend that he's had now for a good long time, right? Mm-hmm. They're super serious. <laughs> she gave him a Christmas present. Yeah. It was an A24 hoodie. Oh, wow. Because his favorite studio was A24. <laughs> wow. That's my son, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Now, I say that to say this, that Uncut Gems has already become A24's biggest first five-day opening. Is it? Yeah. Beating Midsummer. Wow, a movie. Good. That, <laughs> it's just, it's just this perfect storm of interesting for these guys, and I'm so yeah. glad that we were able to talk so about far, them on the show. So far, it says they've done 20 million. Yeah, it's not bad for not quite a whole week. And well, yeah. it would have been a week as of today. And it's just, it's a smaller yeah. tier film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, very slow rollout. Right. Didn't get a lot of. Not as many screens as I don't know, say cats. <laughs> Made more than cats did. But who the hell would pay money for that and take their family? Oh, man. <laughs> so let's get to this beer here. Uh, that is this is the, the yeah, monkless. It's not our first monkless, but it's no. uh, the one we're doing tonight. Meet your maker, which you I, may do with a horrible heroin addiction and a homeless situation. Uh, ooh. It's likely a Belgian style dark ale. I can't remember the ABV. Anybody remember off the top of their head? Nine. nine. Yeah, it's nine. Nine. Number nine. <laughs> also that guy, Ronald Bronson is supposed to do the 48 hours script with them. Andrew R. Carmichael has done all of their movies. Since, yeah. Yeah. has done most yeah. of them with he, them. That's yeah. interesting. He I didn't know in his one name. of their movies as an actor. Um, earlier on, Daddy Long Daddy Legs. Daddy yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry for the uh, digression. I'm just going to pour the rest of this beer in my um, glass while I think y'all continue that, to talk film. Go I ahead. I think that this uh, beer is good. Yeah. I, you know... We don't have Belgians that often. I was going to say, probably an oversight in my like purchasing of beer yeah. when I go places is Belgian beers. I don't often gravitate towards them, which is odd because whenever you bring one, uh-huh. I always like it. Yeah. I don't think that I've ever really... Had a Belgian where I was like, that was terrible. I mean, especially that Belgian stout we had. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a standout for me. So I, I really should be looking more at Belgian-style beers when I'm at the liquor store. Craft beer is a life pursuit. What you're trying to say is that it's time for you to enrich your palate when it comes to this style. I would, yes. Yes, that is. Yeah. That's That's what I said. <laughs> That's exactly why I love the podcast because it gets me off my stupid IPA obsession. Right. Well, it's tough. We and we drink the, a lot of IPAs. And with the Belgian style dark ale, I, I agree with Carlos. Yeah. It's a it's a solid beer. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it's an exceptional beer. 
Mm. And that could just be my palate when it comes to Belgian-style dark IPAs. Yeah. But I would drink this and look for it on the tap line and get it on purpose the next time that it's available. Yeah. Yeah, I, you I mean, probably yeah. know more about yeah, it than, yeah. than, than Carlos and I, I guess, is what we're trying to say. Well, I, Teach no. us a wise one. <laughs> I would say, for me, Belgian-style, or, you know, Belgian ales are what I was... I guess drinking early on in craft beer, mm-hmm. where those were some of the first when when there weren't as many American craft beer options. Do you recall ah, a Belgian first wave? Do you recall well, a brand? They were just a bigger part of the landscape. Was there a favorite brand that we might remember from those days? I mean, there's there's ones that have been around, you know, forever, or like Duchess de Bourgogne, or uh, you know, Orval, or Orval, yeah, which we've had. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did a vertical. Trying to take you back, which is a strange directly. one, but. Because that that's the one that that brings in Britannomyces. But no, yeah. I mean, so early on, those God, such a good word. Allagash, I've learned here. I'm not a fan I, of the style, I've, though. I know I've talked on the show about Allagash, one of the first craft breweries in my home state where I was first drinking craft mm-hmm. beer, and they were Belgian influenced. I mean, they were yeah. doing Belgian style ales, so that was very big part of my early craft beer experience. These days, I don't gravitate to it as much myself, but I still, when one comes along, and I think, oh, I haven't had that one yet. I got to try that. I'm excited to try it. And Monkless, now that I've had them a couple times, they do it well. Yeah, and, I, do, and I yeah. think you, you're, you're not going to... Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, it sounds like it was, it was a rousing episode where everything we touched turned to gold or black opal, what, what, what have you. Um, hey, when does our year end come out? That's to be determined. <laughs> but we are... We're recording a year-end episode. We are. We We're not going to want to miss it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, you're listening to our our last recording session of 2019. We're bringing in a new decade. That's right. Well, I mean, and this is dropping on New Year's Day. So happy yeah. New Year's. And, and uh, you know, th- thank you for it listening might in 2019. Ooh. Might. Y- you might push it off. We'll see. Okay. I'm the, I'm the wild card of the group. You you're hearing it so. You're hearing a production meeting right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I have enjoyed the last year, given what you just said. The last year has been great. We've had a bunch of amazing beers, and I uh, look forward to 2020. Yeah, it's our first full year, right? Yep. Yeah. Our first full year as a podcast. So that's why the year-end episode is super exciting. I think it's the first one we've done. Yeah, we did the Oscar thing last year. Yeah. Right? Well, we look forward that. on Carlos's whim. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a hair across my ass and wait until Oscar season. Just yeah. Don't, just don't post a picture. The bear. <laughs> All right, well, um, this has been Uncut Gems, Heaven Knows What, The Safty Brothers, Jester, Jester King. King, and Monkless. Um, did you walk out of the theater for Uncut <laughs> Gems? Do Don't we, tell Carlos. Do yeah. we need he will to, drive to your house. Do we need to duel in the, on, in the streets? Um, let me know. I, I look very forward to arguing with anybody that felt that they had to walk out of Uncut Gems. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show. You can find us on Instagram at Beer in a Movie and Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX. As always, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com is our home base. You can find a link to listen to this episode, which you're already listening to, and all of our past episodes absolutely free. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribing helps you stay abreast of about when new episodes are dropping, which is every Wednesday. And we know you're going to give us that five-star rating, but reviewing really helps us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. Uh, helps us kind of put together the best uh, program for you that we can. Uh, and until next time, this is me. This is how I win.